Welcome. We love you. We're so glad you're here. love you guys too. That's very kind of you. Thank you. <clears throat> Some people <clears throat> have asked why I would be here today when my wife's in hospice. Last night was the hardest night in the last, uh, we've been in hospice um, going on two months. And uh, I had to get to bed to about 4 a.m. and traded off with my daughter, Lila. And, uh, and Miss Brenda traded off with Lila this morning. So Miss Brenda's not here today. But um, there's a couple of reasons. One is because um, one of the ways I live my life, my Christian life, is when Satan attacks, I attack back. Amen. And I will not allow him to dictate my destiny or my divine assignment. Right and so I'm called to encourage the body of Christ and to feed God's sheep and to lead the church. And so that's what I do. Whether it's from my couch, on my laptop, congregational emails, letters. If you don't get my congregational letters, please... Um, uh, how how do they how do they get my congregational letters? Yeah, yeah. So the welcome you can go on the yeah the welcome card. We have welcome cards here. You can go on our app, go online. Um, <clears throat> and the other uh, reason is because um, well, it's going to be my message. I'll tell you the other reason in a minute. I do want to say something that <clears throat> may seem a little awkward, but. I think it'll help my family and any of you who go through crisis and suffering like my family is. One of the hardest places to go when you are in crisis is church. <clears throat> and it may seem strange, but it's because there's such an outpouring of love. Whenever you see somebody that you love is suffering, the first thing you want to do is ask them, how are you? How are you doing? Or how's your loved one that's suffering? And so... It's just, I do it. We all do it. It's just, we're a loving spiritual community. But the problem is the person that is the suffering one or the one that has a loved one that's suffering has to feel all of that all day long. And it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and it's exhausting. And sometimes the person that's suffering just wants to come to church and worship God and not have to feel all those questions. So I just want to say, if I could just do a blanket statement and welcome online community as well. Uh, this wouldn't be for you because you're not here unless you're going to be doing all these, you know, comments online. How are you? How's hope? How are the kids? We're praying for you. Here's a scripture. Here's a cure to cancer. Here's a book. Here's a CD. You know, can I come over, right? It's all love, but it's just, you know. And so I would just like to say, as a blanket statement, we all thank you so much for your love, your prayers, your gifts. It's a wave of love hitting our life. I knew it would come because you're such a loving congregation. I told my wife, as we were leaving the hospital, heading home to hospice, I said, a wave of love is about to hit the Ettore household. And it has hit, and they just wave after wave after wave. Thank you so much. Secondly, I want to say, Hope is not doing well. Uh, so that's the answer to that question. Um, she's um, suffering. Um, as you know, if you get my congregational letters or you see what I post on Facebook, um, I'm still contending for a miracle. And I, I anoint her every day. I lay in bed in her hospice bed with the last night. I was laying in her hospice holding her hand, praying for the power of Christ to flow through. 
I was watching a, a sermon last night on the courts of heaven. Uh, it's a revelation God's given to a particular preacher that uh, his life was chaotic and he didn't know why his prayers weren't being answered anymore, fasting, praying and all that. And God showed him one of the keys that unlocks heaven. So I was doing that last night after I watched two messages from him and I got on my knees and I'm contending for my wife's deliverance. People say, well, what if it doesn't happen? I said, well, I'll deal with that then. But in the meantime, I'm swinging for the fences, and I know you are too. Um, so when you, my kids are here in church today, so if you could just talk about anything other than how their mom is doing, they would appreciate it so they can just be here and worship with us. All right? You can even just walk by them a little awkward and kind of look at them and go like this. Uh, the other reason, and now we're going to jump into my message, the other reason that I'm here today is because um, Satan's number one goal in life is to destroy the church, the capital C church. But there is no capital C church without small C churches all over the planet. That is the, cap that is the global church are small churches, local churches. It'd be like saying, you know, you know, we have the four branches of the military, but there are no squadrons, there are no platoons, there are no outfits. Like, what was yours called, uh, um, Phil? When you were in the military, you were a company, right? And so for a soldier to say, oh yeah, I'm part of the military, but I'm not part of a company. I'm just like on my own. What would you say to that person? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the answer right there, right? But we have people doing this all over the planet, God's children all over the planet, saying they don't need to be in church or part of a church, and it's just not biblical. And that's what we're going to look at today. Because, and that's why I'm calling today's message Strong Church. And I'm going to jump into the book of Philippians with you guys, as Pastor Mark and Josh have done a fantastic job teaching us through the book of Philippians. Amen? And we are going to continue walking through the book. And I'm going to do verse 1 and verse 2 today. But before we get there, um, I want to say this. The church of Jesus Christ is a very specific, has a very specific divine design to it, whose architect, ar architect is God. And when the church is functioning as she should, she is the most beautiful, most powerful, most influential, influential unstoppable organization on the planet. When it's functioning as it should. In fact, look what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 about this. To the intent, everybody say to the intent. What he means by that is before he said to the intent, he was saying there's been a mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations, but now, everybody say now, now. it has been revealed. And we are part of that mystery. Now it's been revealed to the whole world what this mystery is. And what is this mystery? He says it right here. That the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. Everybody say, by the church. To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What? Turn to your neighbor and say, what? What does that mean? That means God takes pathetic, hell-bound, sin-filled creatures, calls them by name, forgives them of their sins, fills them with his spirit, gives them the authority of Christ, calls them his church, and then uses the church as a battering ram to beat the crap out of the devil. That's what that means. 
Translation, mine. <laughs> yes, I said that from the pulpit. Sorry. I'm a little more raw and real today than usual. This is why it's the enemy's number one goal to destroy the church. You are the church. We are the church. So he's trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy us. He hates us. We're God's kids. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer. This is, this is open book. What are some of the things that Satan does to destroy the church? Divide. Disunity. Lies. Offenses. Oh, dude, that's like number one. You hurt my feelings. I'm out. It's like, wow, really? How about, how about, how about work through the offense like a Christian? You know, in our membership class, I always say this phrase. One person said it saved their life. It's not if you're going to be offended. It's when you are offended, what are you going to do about it? Because that says everything about you. It says everything about you, your character, your strength, your internal fortitude, your maturity. You offended me. That's why Satan has used this new thing that the, the, the worst thing you can do on earth now is to offend somebody. That's like the cardinal sin, unpardon, unforgivable sin. It's like, no, offenses are going to be here forever and ever. And if we make not offending somebody the goal in life or being offended the greatest offense, we are now developing the weakest culture ever. Okay, that's my sermon on offenses. Somebody else, how does Satan destroy the church? Gets you out of the word of God. Offenses, pride, resisting authority, selfish leadership, gossip. That's when people, you know, oh, tell me what they said. I said, nope, I don't do that. Not going to do that. Gossip just destroys best of friends, the Bible says. Stinginess, not being a generous church. Introverted mission is about me, me, my four, no more. I don't care about the Great Commission, people going to hell. I'm in the boat. I'm safe. What's in it for me? Give me, give me. My name's Jimmy. Okay, can't do that. So because Satan is working over time to destroy the church, we have to work over time to strengthen the church. This is our church. Like my wife and I decided 28 years ago when we got married, this is our marriage. We can make it what we want it to be. I want to say to you, this is our church and we can make it what we want it to be. And so... Opening of the book of Philippians, the first two verses, what I'm going to cover with you today. Paul, right out of the gate, establishes four groups of people that are essential to any local church. There, there are two elements I'm going to talk about today. In the architect, uh, architecture of the church, there are two elements I'm going to talk about today. This is the first one. There are four giftings. Four gifts, four categories of gifts, spiritual gifts, that Jesus puts in his church. That is why when someone says, oh, my church is when I surf. I'm one with nature. Or I'm, I, I have church at home by myself. Well, you may worship at home and you may worship when you're surfing, but you're not having church. 
because there are certain gifts that Jesus has placed in his church that are not with you when you're surfing or sitting at home by yourself. So that's not church. Okay? Now this is critical because Satan knows the church is the only thing that can defeat him in the earth. And so when the church is functioning the way Jesus designed it, the Bible, Jesus said the gates of hell can't prevail against my church when she's functioning the way she's supposed to. So here are the four groups of gifts that is in every, needs to be in every church for it to be as powerful as Jesus designed it. Number one are the five office gifts. This is in Ephesians chapter 4. That's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The Bible says Jesus gave these particular gifts to certain people to lead the church, to strengthen the church, and build up the next group of people to do the works of ministry. We'll look at the next groups of people in a minute. The seven motivational gifts are other gifts in every church. Well, they should be. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and mercy. Every one of you have at least one of those gifts. And they're for the church. That's why if you're solo, you can't do any of those. Who are you going to do them to? Yourself? I'm going to prophesy to myself. I'm going to have mercy on myself. I'm going to teach myself. I'm going to serve myself. Yeah, probably. I'm going to lead myself. See, these gifts are in you for the benefit of those around you. Can I hear an amen? The nine spiritual gifts then are in 1 Corinthians 12, and that is prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, gifts of healings, gift of faith, working of miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Those are the different categories. Those are the different spiritual gifts that are in every church. Now, as we look at these four groups of people, what's very important is we don't confuse titles uh, with function. You see, Jesus is not big on titles at all. In fact, he's against them. He said, don't call anybody father, don't call anybody teacher, because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all equal in essence. We're just different in function. But I'm part of the fivefold ministry, right? The first gifts I showed you, but that doesn't make me better than you. It just says I have a different function in the army. I have a different function of the family. And so we don't want to get caught up on titles. We want to, get, we want to understand our functions. So here we go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Here are the four categories. Paul and Timothy, first category, bond servants of Jesus Christ, Paul and Timothy. Secondly, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in San Diego, who were in Escondido. That's the second group of people, all the saints. Number three, with the bishops, and then the fourth category, and the deacons. Okay, when you are surfing, do you have the apostles, the bondservants? Do you have the saints, all the other saints? Do you have the uh, bishops, and do you have the deacons? Are they there with you? Are they all on their surfboards out there with you? If so, you can have church. Praise the Lord. So let's look at the first one, bondservants of Jesus Christ. These are also known as apostles. I love how Paul calls himself a bond slave instead of an apostle here. Why does he do that? 
Because in the function in the body of Christ in any church, the apostle has the greatest authority. He has the greatest authority of anyone because of the anointing, the gifting, the grace that's on him. That's why he can say this to the Roman church. For I say, through the grace given to me, the gift given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God dealt to each one a measure of faith. He's, this is the way it says in the New Living Translation. Because of the privilege and authority God has given to me, I give you this warning. So see, Paul, because of his uh, giftedness and grace God gave him for the church, the apostleship, the father of the church, he has the greatest authority. So what does he call himself? Instead of saying, I am Apostle Paul, he never calls himself the Apostle Paul, ever. He says, Paul, an apostle. My name is Paul. My title is Paul. That's what Jesus calls me. You can call me Paul. My function in the body of Christ is I'm an apostle. What does that mean? I'm the biggest servant of all. That's why he calls himself a bond slave. What's a bond slave? Slavery in the Bible in the Old Testament is not the same as the slavery that was in our country or the 27 million people who are in slavery around the world right now. It's completely different. Slavery was all, has always been, and it was way back then, so when God's people came together, he gave them, he didn't abolish it immediately, but he gave them regulations on it. You had to say, there's all sorts of scriptures in the Old Testament about, about this. You don't treat them as slaves in the Jewish community, they are hired servants. You treat them liberally just as God has been liberal with you. They can only be your hired servant for seven years. Then they get to go free and you bless them abundantly on their way out the door. And fourthly, if they choose because of their love for the family, choose to stay and be your servant for the rest of their life, that is called a bond servant. They volitionally choose to be with you forever. And they will be like one of the family members, and you will bless them. Okay, so that's completely different than our vision of slavery and our experience of slavery. Paul, the reason I bring this up, Paul calls himself a bond slave. He's saying, I have chosen to serve Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. That's the first group of people in the Philippian church, the apostles. Secondly, would be the saints in Philippi. This is to the whole congregation. This is you. Everybody, turn to your person next to you and say, if you're in Christ, go ahead, say, if you're in Christ, tell the person next to you, you are a saint. Come on, you are a saint. <laughs> now, now, turn back to them and say, oh, don't think you're perfect. Go ahead. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't, don't get the big head. What does saint mean? Now, you guys know that there are religions that make saints out of people because of their good works. <laughs> All right? No, that's not biblical. We can honor people because of the good works, and we should. But there's not a separate category of saints based on their good works. The word saint is a, is a short term for sanctified, which means set apart for a special purpose. When did you become a saint? When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the God anointed you with the Holy Spirit and set you apart from the world for a special divine assignment and purpose in the kingdom of God, to be the salt and light of a dark, dying world. You are set apart to God. That's why I tell people when they want me to do things and go certain places, I say, my friendship with Jesus won't allow me to do that. 
I had been set apart. Somebody asked me just yesterday, in your situation, they actually asked me this question. Are you going to start drinking and become an alcoholic? Or are you going to get in? No. Are you going to get into pornography? Are you going to... Are you going to start doing drugs? They asked me if my wife goes to heaven early or does not God's will or her divine assignment. We know what her divine assignment is. He spoke to her audibly and she was in her calling. And then this cancer hit her and has derailed her destiny. And I'm trying to get her back on track. They're, they're wondering, am I going to crumble and cave and get into all this other stuff? And I said, well, no, I, I left that stuff a long time ago. I've been sanctified. I've been set apart to Jesus. I'll be angry. I'll be frustrated. I'll be depressed. I will go through grief. Yeah, but I'm not going to go to the bottle. I'm not going to go to a needle. I'm not going to go off and be sexually illicit. I came out. God saved me out of that lifestyle. I said, I don't, I don't like it. Like I'll have a glass of wine, you know, but I'm not, I don't ever have more than two because I don't like losing my faculty. I don't like losing my sensibilities. I don't like losing my clarity. I don't want to grieve and quench the Holy Spirit who is better than any drug I ever took. Amen. And that's not, I'm just not, I'm not like hyper preaching. This is like real for me. I get depressed. I get sad. I get lonely. But there's like this floor that I never go under. It's like I'm standing on something that is more solid than I am, more solid than my soul, more, more stable than my own emotions, and it's Jesus. He's my rock. And I mean this. It's not that we don't suffer, but man, like Jesus said, talking about those who have loved ones that died, you know, we don't suffer like those who have no hope. We suffer, but not like those who have no hope. Can I hear an amen? So, those are the saints in every church. That's why every saint, every Christian who goes to church strengthens the church. You're adding to the platoon, to the company, to the squadron. You're, you're in, your, you're in your, your crew. You're running with your, with, your, with your peeps. And when you show up, you strengthen the church. You need to understand how important you are to your local church, to your local platoon which means you are an active member of the global church that's taken on the powers of darkness. And every saint that pops out because they're busy, they get, they, they get a job, it pops them out of, out, out of I've seen that so many times, they, they come and they're financially broke, they need help, which is okay, you got to start tithing because that's going to unleash the blessings of God in your life. They start doing that, we pray for them, they get, a, they get a job, then they get a promotion, and then they allow themselves to get promoted right out of church. I've seen it over and over and over and over again. You've got to steward the blessings of God wisely. And you pop out of church for whatever. I get offended or whatever it is. You just weakened that platoon. You just weakened the kingdom of God when you left your church. I'm preaching today. The third group of people. Because for one, we have the apostles or the bond slaves. Second, we have the saints. Thirdly, is the bishops or the overseers or the elders. It's all the same word. And they're not titles. We just, we use these titles so we can identify giftings in the body of Christ. These are functions. And today, we're going to ordain a couple of new elders, which will help strengthen this church. 
There are two things we're going to talk about today in the structure of the church. One is giftings. That's what we're talking about now. And then I'll tell you what the other one is in a few minutes. What is your gift? If you don't know your gift, that 301 class is coming up. That's, that's how you identify your spiritual gifts. So then you can be spiritually employed in your local church and help, boom, make that church a strong church. Because I know what my spiritual gift is, and I want to be spiritually employed and help the kingdom of God advance. Otherwise, you're just going to stay busy doing your own thing your whole life and then die. And then you're going to show up in heaven, and Jesus is going to say, I had a divine destiny for you. I had spiritual gifts I gave to you. I led you that, to that church you were a part of. What'd you do? I love you. Come on in, but you're going to have to sit over there while I give all the rewards out to these people over here. <laughs> hey, that's fact. There's scripture all over the place about that. The bishops, the elders, these are the ones gifted by Jesus to lead the church. One of the issues we have in America is we all grew up in a democracy, so we think that we're allowed to vote in the church about who leads us and the decisions they're making, and, and we get divided. And there are congregations that actually have something called a congregational government, and that is where the congregation votes. That's horrible. Could you imagine if the Israelites voted at the Red Sea about whether... Moses says, we're going this way because God told us we're going this way. And he told me to reach out my staff over the Red Sea. I don't know what's going to happen, but that's what he told us to do. So that's what we're going to do. As the Egyptian army is barreling down on 3 million Jews, they got the Egyptian army coming at them. They got the Red Sea in front of them. And the leader God chose says, I'm going I'm to reach my stick out over the water. That's what, that's what God told us to do. You, if they voted, what do you think they would have voted? S- stick yes or apologize to the Egyptian army and hopefully they won't destroy us. You know what they would have voted, right? Out of utter fear. The kingdom of God is just that. It's a kingdom led by a king. And the king calls and draws certain saints to be leaders in the church. I never wanted to be a leader. I never wanted to be a senior pastor. I said, no, 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 no. I'm selfish. All I care about is me, and you and I both know that. I told him that. I didn't realize that he was going to take care of that problem by, like, doing the meat grinder thing on me for 40 years until he just gets all that selfishness out of you, which is the problem of every marriage, every relationship of selfishness is self-centeredness. And so marriage is your sanctification process. And then there are the kids. I should be more like Jesus now than I ever imagined because of the sanctity. And then there's the suffering, which produces Christ-like in you more than anything else, unless you don't suffer with Christ well. And you get mad at God and you walk away from him. And then your spiritual growth is completely stunted and then you end up being just nasty and bitter and angry and resentful and it's just cancer in your soul you got you got to you got to you got to invite jesus into your suffering and you'll come you'll, you'll know him better through suffering than through blessing because he will come close and you will draw near to him you won't always feel him or hear him and it's very disconcerting but after you go through that valley and there's something different in you Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, you'll be settled and strengthened and 
established. After you've suffered a while, it says. Resist the devil. After you've suffered a while, you're going to end up being a much better person than you were before you suffered. Okay, so the saints have to follow leaders. It's very disconcerting because I've had leaders in my life that weren't worthy of being followed, but the Lord told me to follow them anyway. It was a very difficult season of my life, but God was teaching me something. That submission to authority um, isn't because we always get to choose our leaders or because the leaders are doing everything right. And this particular leader was in sin, and the Lord still told me to, to, to be submitted to his authority. And David did that with Saul. God told King David to submit to the king who was a wicked king at that point. And uh, God told him, and, and, and David wouldn't speak against him. He, wouldn't. he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Twice he had the opportunity to kill him, and he wouldn't do it. He said, God will take care of the business. God will take care of it. God doesn't call him my, me. God called him. God will take care of it. I'm just going to make sure I'm right with God and my attitude and my speech and my behavior. And because he submitted to God, God took care of the authority and then exalted David to be king. David didn't exalt himself. You see, that that's, submission to authority is, is the greatest test of humility on the planet. Okay, well, what about the leadership when they aren't right? Well, look, <laughs> you don't want to be a leader <laughs> in the body of Christ unless you're called and then do it with trembling and fear because look at like james chapter 3 verse 1 my brethren let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall have a stricter judgment i will be judged by god on how i shepherded you the writer of hebrews says it this way obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to god Give them reason to do this with joy, not sorrow. That would certainly not be to your benefit. So the leaders lead, the followers follow, but the followers have to trust God that I can follow these leaders even though I agree with everything they're doing. I'm not going to badmouth them. I'm not going to criticize them. I'm not going to gossip. I'm going to pray for them and humble myself. And then the leaders need to recognize you're here to serve. You're not here to be served. The, 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 the essence of Christianity is others centered not self-centered jesus christ the son of god came to the earth and said i have not come to be served this is why in marriages it's not 50 50 it's not you know what i want people say they want to be married because i want to be happy he makes me happy well the goal is that you're supposed to make him happy and he's supposed to make you happy it's a hundred hundred i'm all in my chips are all in when you say i do i'm all in now, I'm going to do everything I can to help meet your needs and maybe some of your greeds. I'm here to make your wildest dreams come true, right? But and if the other person has that exact same attitude, you can make it through almost anything. You see, it's others-centered, not self-centered. That's the, that is the absolute core of Christianity, Okay, so how do leaders get uh, put into the church? Look at Acts chapter 14 with me. Paul and Barnabas, the apostles, the bond slaves, also appointed elders in every church. That's what we're doing today. 
with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? They, turned, they appointed elders leadership and then put them into the care of the Lord. Now they are accountable to Jesus. Dan and Kristen, as we install you as elders today, we're going to put you into the hands of the Lord. You have to understand you're stepping into a function now where there's greater accountability. So it's not like <laughs> we did have one elder. We actually ordained it as an elder early on. And as soon as he got the title, he became a disaster. He thought, you remember that, Mark? <laughs> Mark just groans on the front row. We gave this person a title, and it was just like ether in his brain. All of a sudden, he thought he had the authority to order everybody around, and nobody could refute his theology, his doctrine, or his decisions. We had to remove him. It was an unpleasant season in the history of our church, I promise you. It was ugly and awful. It's like, dude, no, that's completely opposite of what your attitude should be. You're the slave of all now, man. And you're going to accountable to God how you handled his people. So we appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord and whom they had put their trust. Okay, now I'm going to very quickly tell you the four responsibilities of elders because we're going to ordain them in a few minutes. Uh, there's four things. Say lead, feed, prayer, and care. Say, lead, feed, prayer, and care. My job, Josh's job, Shelley's job, Mark's job, and Kristen and Dan's job is going to be to lead you, feed you, pray for you, and care for you. And uh, here are these scriptures. Lead, First Peter. Now, now, I'm just going to read through these scriptures quickly. And now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. And that's going to be a great day, man. When Jesus is revealed to the whole world, when he comes back. And everybody's like, oh, crud. <laughs> I guess my worldview is a little off. Okay, but our goal is to reach these folks and get them into the kingdom like mine. I was telling my son on the way down today, man, I was saying, look, you got to make sure all your friends know that they need to be in church and give their life to Christ because, and don't say no for anybody. Don't think in your head, oh, that person would never come to church. That person would never come to Christ. Everybody thought that about me and they should have. And if that one person at work didn't quit bugging me to go to church with him, who knows where I would be today? Don't say no in your head for anybody. Jesus can reach anybody. Okay. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock of God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And if you will do that, Mr. and Mrs. Kane, this is what you get. You get a set of steak knives and this. Dan goes, yes. Oh, God, I'll tell you what. You can either have the set of steak knives or you can have this. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Woo! Oh, man, put that on my head, Jesus. All right. Secondly, it's to feed. That was the lead by example, feed, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will also be able to pass them on to others. Lead, feed, prayer. Number three, an elder is called to pray 
Even though the saints, the people of God, rejected God's choice for a king, God said, I'm your king. You don't need a human king. Don't be like all the other cultures in the world. Don't copycat the world. This is my kingdom. You're my people. I'm your king. And they're like, no, we want to be like the world. And God says, all right, here, you can have Saul. He's going to be a disaster. They said, we don't care. We want a king. He's like, okay. What did the prophet Samuel say about this? He said this, as for me, even though you guys are idiots, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you, and I will continue to teach you what is good and right. Woo! He was accountable to God to be a good leader, even when God's people were being bad followers. He said, I will not sin against God. What did he say? I will not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. And then finally, the fourth responsibility of elders is to care. Now, this is right out of the book of Philippians, the book that we're studying. Paul says this, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I want to say this, the leaders in this church love you guys. And they talk to me all the time about how you guys are getting along. And it brings me joy to hear that the Lord's working in your life. I get the testimonies. I get the prayer requests. I see the prayer requests come across. I pray for you guys. But these leaders, these elders, these team leaders, these pastors love you. And they are well taking care of you. They're taking care of you very well. Right? Cagnite group leaders, okay, that was a lot weaker of a response than I was hoping for, but it's true anyway. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I'll hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he will cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. You are what matters to Jesus Christ, and these pastors care for you. The last group of people are deacons that he lists. The bond slaves, the saints, the elders, and the deacons. What are deacons and deaconesses? These are the folks that carry out the practical tasks of the church, like Family Needs Connection, the Williamses, Phil and Christina Williams oversee the Family Needs Connections. David Lotz is the deacon. He does the setup and breakdown crew, the food distributions, these kind of practical um, assignments that the elders say the church needs this, and then the deacons and deaconesses make it happen. They're the practical arm of the church. So there are two things we're going to do in application to this message about how Jesus has designed his church so that it will be so powerful that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. First is all the giftings we just went over. We'll talk about the second thing in just a minute. But right now what we want to do is we want to call Kristen, Dan and Kristen Kane up and we're going to lay hands on them and we are going to install them as elders in this church to help us be a strong church. Everybody say strong church. Strong. All right, come on, you guys. Come on up. Let's welcome these guys. Huh. Shelly asked me when she should be here so that we could ordain these guys, and I said 1115. You guys see what time it is? I'm on point. Everybody say, it's a miracle. Go ahead. You can say it. All right, go ahead. All right, Shelly, Mark, Josh. Okay, we're going to take about five minutes to pray and prophesy over these guys. These guys are here to serve you. 
so that you guys can grow up in spiritual maturity and be strong believers in salt and light of the world. Welcome online community. Please join us as we set in Dan and Kristen Kane. These guys uh, have been here for a, a number of years. They have proven they have been they have gone through the fire of trials and sufferings. They have been offended. And we have worked through our offenses. And it has proven that their character is worthy of leading you guys. We don't do this lightly. We do this soberly, intentionally. And we do it by the will of God. So when you guys stood up here and just getting to know you uh, and how just your walk with the Lord, the fire that you have with the Lord, I felt two things when I when you guys stood up here. Um, you guys are coming in almost like Joshua and Caleb. And when the spies went out to spy out the land, they were the two that saw beyond the giants. Oh, come on. They were the two that saw beyond. It's like, no, that's the land that God promised us. And so it doesn't matter what obstacles are in our way. We're going to take that territory because it was a promise. So I I feel like that word is you guys. I also feel like at the turn of the year, I felt the Lord wanted to bring in new wine. Hmm. And and bring in new wineskins because you can't pour in new wine with old wineskins, right? Um, you guys are new wineskins, and God's going to pour out a new measure of new wine in this congregation because you're being established as elders. So um, I not only believe that for this church, but I believe that for you guys too. So let's lift our hands towards okay, them. Real quick, I'm going yeah. confir- to confirm this. Good. Uh, when I say lead by example, vision is the first thing a leader leads with is vision. These two have again and again and again talked to us about what they see for our church. Yeah. They have a vision in their heart for you guys and for us and our divine assignment in San Diego and the world. And then um, secondly, the new wine, they have come to us and said, we need a military outreach. Dan uh, was a commander in the military and Kristen was a military uh, a commander's wife for many years. And they understand military families and their needs and they have already launched a military ministry and that's part of the new wine yeah. a whole new harvest field for us here in san diego so amen good. So amen good. that was the spirit of the lord josh yes the spirit of the lord is on you we thank you we thank you lord for what you're doing and what you're going to do in Kristen and dan kane lord god we pray for them that you would supernaturally empower them to do the work of this ministry that you'd give them divine wisdom, divine direction, and even divine boldness to be as Joshua and Caleb, to see what's on the other side into the promised land and call it like it is. That is our territory because it's a promise of God. Lord, I pray that you would pour out the new wine into them. It would be an out, outpouring and overflowing. Uh, resources in their personal life, resources in this ministry. Lord, bring in the right people to help them, Lord God. Other shepherds as well to to uh, to have fruit in their military ministry. Uh, strengthen the house, God. We thank you for what you're doing in them and through them. In Jesus' name, God, we, we impart that to them. It's no coincidence that this... Uh, appointment 
Commander. into eldership comes shortly after your decommissioning as an officer. Well, that's what I was just praying. You're going to steal my property? I'm, steal, I'm already no, stealing. It. It. It's already mine. Dang. It's already mine. It's, but we'll, I'm, we'll make something up for you in a minute. I was just prophesying that over him. Go ahead. Dang, Nabbit. Go, go ahead. Get him. No, there's no, no coincidence. Uh, you, were, you were serving in authority and under authority before. Mm. You learned to live in, in and under authority before. And then you had this little hiatus. Thank you, Jesus. And now you're right back in it in a different army, Woo. in a different organization. <laughs> and, and I believe the Lord wants to say to you Bless that you there's going to be a tremendous increase in your spiritual authority. It's going to come with a tremendous increase in revelation. You, you both of you are going to uh, experience shortly, um, it's already started, but it's going to accelerate dreams and visions, things in the night, uh, waking up with thoughts that are not yours, that have their origin in the heart of God. And you'll recognize things, there'll be new insights in scripture, new understandings. You're going to discern more in people what's going on in their lives and have revelation as to what their issues are. So your prayers are going to have much more power. Your words are going to have much more power, and you're going to increase your spiritual authority and, and your influence. And it will be, and I know we always say this, and it's trite because we overuse it, but the latter years will be better than the former years. But in your case, it's absolutely true. It's going to be a new season and very exciting, more fun and adventure with God than you've ever had before. You're really going to have a good time in this. It's not that everything's going to be perfect, but you're going to have a sense of excitement and a sense of purpose that you've never had before, which is a new level of spiritual authority. Amen. Amen. Shelley, do you have anything? We pray. What do you got? Most of what I'm getting for you guys is in my heart. It, it isn't words. But thank you for persevering. Mm, yeah. Thank you for persevering. Yeah, it's a good word. Thank you. And I also just wanted to say, we all, except for John, feel like we need a step stool to pray for you guys. <laughs> Has anybody noticed that? I mean, like, come on. <laughs> but we want to get, <laughs> but take us up higher. Amen. Okay, take us Amen. up higher. God bless you guys. We sent you in today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as elders in the Gathering Place Church. Now go serve. Amen. Amen. I want to say something about uh, the perseverance, uh, and then we're going to um, go to the next thing. It's going to be short and sweet. They thought they were incognito. They came to my house in their nice convertible sports car. They parked halfway down the road, and then they walked up to the cul-de-sac, and then they were praying over our house while I was walking the dog. And so I came up behind their car, and I saw what they were doing. And I walked up to them with tears in my eyes because a number of years ago, uh, we ran into a gnarly situation in, in the church that involved both of our families, and there were offenses and our relationship almost broke over it. And we worked through it together. We spent four hours on one Saturday. We spent four hours, Mark and I, and the Canes, the next Saturday. We talked through it. We listened to the Lord. We prayed for each other. We confessed our sins to one another. We humbled ourselves. All of us did. 
And doggone it, that's called Christianity. And I walked up to him, I said, if we did not act like Christians all those years ago, we would not be in this moment where you're standing here with your hands outreached to your pastor's home, praying for the blessings of God on him. You'd be off in some other church causing problems. (laughs) And I would have another wound in my heart from being bit by God's sheep, right? But what did we do? We acted like Christians. The world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. It's not an emotion or a feeling. It's a fact. It's an action. It's obedience. This is my command that you love one another. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Okay. All right. The first, one of the elements in Jesus' church that makes it a strong church are the spiritual gifts that we just went over, the apostles and the saints and the bishops and elders and then the deacons. The second thing is the finances in every church. It's critical. No mission will succeed without financial support. Look what the Apostle Paul says to the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 4, he says this, As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought, brought you the good news and then traveled from, on from Macedonia. No other church did this. That's a very important phrase because he gives them a promise at the end of this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. And that's not just a nicety. He means it. They're going to get rewarded. At the moment, I have all that I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. When you give to your church, you're giving to God. Even if the church mishandles the finances, you still get rewarded. Because you gave to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. We use that promise broadly to all believers. And God is a provider. He will provide for us. But this particular promise was directly to the Philippian church as a response to their giving to his church planting global evangelism ministry that they were sowing into. And he says, because you're sowing into my ministry, God is going to reward you richly. That's how it works. I learned that when I was broke. I was so broke, I couldn't pay attention. See what I did there? And the Lord told me to start tithing. And I said, I have no money. That's, that didn't make any sense to me. Tithing is giving the first 10% of your income to your local church uh, for the advancement of the mission. I was like, I don't have any money. This is when I was in business here in San Diego. We were going under. But I obeyed. I said, Lord, the next dollar I get, you get a dime, but I don't know when I'm going to get a dollar. And that next week, I made more sales than the two previous months combined. By the end of the year, I was the top salesman in the nation for four years, and then he called me into the ministry. So he showed me how to unlock the treasures of heaven, and it was by giving into his kingdom, because you're giving into his kingdom, and he does not not see that. And then you can't outgive God. The Bible is very clear that uh, Paul says, um, this is interesting, he says to the Macedonian church who were in poverty, they gave to his ministry. And they, he said, you gave to me out of your need. I tell everybody, whether you're a single mom or a CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation, you need to tithe if you want to unlock the treasures of heaven and make, protect your heart from greed. And greed is... People that have no money can be greedy too because they think money is going to answer all the problems. 
And people who have a lot of money can think that money is my identity, my self-worth and my net worth are equal. So tithing cuts the root of that fear and that greed and that mistrust. And then God responds to you as you release your money to him and his kingdom. And so um, as soon as I started tithing, everything turned for me. And uh, so that's how I learned that. So, but uh, I want to say this about uh, this initiative, which is called, we call it the heart, heart for the house. And uh, we do this each year. And this is um, us prioritizing the house of God so that we can fulfill our mission in the world. And this is above our regular tithes and offerings. Um, you say, well, why would we do this? It's because we spend, all of us spend our money on all sorts of things things we need and things we we want and so we can get distracted or taken off course with our our wealth god says i'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing okay and so if you think about um like when jesus had at least twenty thousand people on a hillside and he'd been for three days and they're all hungry and the disciples said we got to send them home They're, they're they're hungry and tired jesus says well you feed them he was giving them an opportunity to operate in faith. He said to Philip, you feed them. And Philip's like, all we have is like this boy has a couple, uh, two fish and a few loaves of bread. And Jesus was like, dang it, man, you missed the opportunity, Philip. You could have said, I got this one, Jesus. Father, I ask that you bless it. And he could have just boom, right? But Jesus said, let me show you how to do this. So he prays over it and he says, now pass it out. So then 20,000 people, I say 20 because there are 5,000 plus women and children. But do you realize that it wasn't like Jesus didn't do it just so the last person got the last chunk of fish and the last chunk of bread? Do you know what the end of the story was? There were leftovers, man, 12 basketfuls. Now, here's what I think. There were 12 disciples. I don't know. It could have one for each of them because the blessings of God flow through you. And as they're going through you, you get some too. But here's what I actually believe. It was the boys' loaves and fish, loaves of bread and fish. I think he went home with 12 basketfuls. The mom sends him to the market with two, to get two loaves and three breads, and he comes home with 12 basketful. That's what I think happened. The Bible doesn't say it, but it makes sense to me based on what the Word teaches. So today we're going to start what we call Heart for the House, and that is just us giving uh, above and beyond our normatizing offerings so that we can focus on God's house this year. Keep our priorities straight. Jesus said where your money is, that's where you'll find your heart. I find that when I give to something or somebody, my heart is more there because I'm more invested. And if I love the place, I give to the place. We all do that. And so we want to tie our hearts to the house. And this year, we have something very cool that we have never had before. We have a member who said, I want to be a matching donor. They have put up 20 grand. And they say, the church as a collective gives 20 grand. I give 20 grand. So there's 40. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So, so that's happening. They want to remain anonymous, but I'm a little different. I'm going to go first. Just like the Macedonian church gave out of their need, we clearly are in a place of need right now. And you guys have all been so gracious and you people giving us gifts and helping. But, but, but I'm going to give out of my need because the Lord taught me this when I was broken in business. He said, well, you have a need, plant a seed. And so I'm going to plant the first $1,000 today. I'm going to go first. I'm going to lead by example. I don't want to ask you to do something I wouldn't do myself. So I'm going to sow the first 1000 toward that 20000 uh, grant. And then I'm going to ask you to simply pray and ask the Lord what he would have you do. And I want to say this. You don't have to do anything. 
you will be loved and cared for and valued and honored no matter what, okay? And if you feel like this is any kind of manipulation, don't give because God loves a cheerful giver. The Bible says don't give out a compulsion or pressure or anything like that. That's not what this is about. This is a pure desire to prioritize the house of God and the kingdom of God and to reach as many people for Jesus as we possibly can. That's what this is about. We want all the needs in the house met. The Bible says do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. And it also says that I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to the world. Our church has always been a blessing to the world. So I'm going to ask the ushers to pass out the heart, heart for the house cards. And what you're going to see on the front are three different ways that you can give. On the back, lists all of our missionaries and all the mission organizations that you support with your money. So you can see where your money is going. I'm going to wait till everybody gets a card. And um, if you're online, you can just listen to how you can give these three different ways. And then you can make your choice as you pray about it. And, and only do what the Lord leads you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Okay, so first I want you to turn it over to the back of the card. I want you to see... From day one, when we pioneered this church out of my living room, I told the Lord, I will not take a dime until we give the first 10% of all the offerings out to the poor, to the needy, and to the missionaries that have taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we've done that every year. Uh, we give like $100,000 plus every year um, out. And so on the back, you'll see all the missionaries and missions organizations. We're going to bring a couple more on soon. Because um, we're an outward-focused church, not a navel-gazing church. Secondly, on the front of the card, you can see how you can give. The first one is you can just give a cash donation, just a one-time gift above your regular tithes and offerings, like I'm doing with a with $1,000 seed that I'm going to, I'm going to give today. Um, secondly, you can say, I'm going to give a cash donation gift. I'm going to give it on this particular date. Maybe like when your tax return comes in or something, you can say, God, I'm going to give you so much out of my tax return. I want to have a little extra. Just put down the date. That's a cash gift. That way we know how much is actually coming in for the matching gift of 20 grand. The third thing you can do is say, I'm going to give a certain percentage above my normal tithes and offering. I give 10%. I'm going to give 12%, 15 20%. And then if you could calculate that and put down what that would come out to so that we know exactly how much is coming in uh, that would help so you can do that today if you want and you can put an offering in the box in the back if it's a one time cash gift you can text you can go online and give and in the, in the text to give in the online giving there's a category a drop down box that says heart for the house so we'll know that this is not your regular tithes and offering it's your heart for the house and I want to tell you something and I'm not, this is pure gospel 100% fact Bible. Whatever you choose to give, God's going to multiply it and return it to you. I know that as a fact. The $1,000 I'm giving that we can't afford to give, I have no fear. Because I know he's going to say, oh, you think you could give me $1,000 and I'm not going to give back to you more? He will not be outgiven. He's a fun God and he is not broke. He's a generous God. So 
You can give today if you want. March is our Heart for the House month. That's when we'd like all the commitments to be in by the end of March. So you can take that card home with you, pray over it. You and your spouse can talk about it. Bring it back next week and uh, deposit it. I love you guys. Strong church. Beat the devil's brains out. Phil, you have something to say? All right, Phil, come on up. Phil's on our financial board. Uh-oh, he's going to put the truth to you. I just like that. You know, when you give to somebody, right, like you're giving to the Lord, you don't necessarily get anything back from that person, right? You're giving it with your heart, not expecting anything back. But if I go to a more and I sit and Anwar goes up to me and asks me, hey, can you lend me a thousand bucks? I'll give Amor a thousand bucks with the expectation that he's going to give it back to me. And sometimes it's with a tip. I don't know. That's why I like the scripture in Proverbs where it says that when you give to the Lord, you're lending to him. It does say that. Yes. When you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Right. Yeah, and we give to the poor. So when you're giving, you're lending to the Lord. And you know the Lord's going to give it back to you. He says, that scripture actually says, he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay what he's given to him. That one. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I do. That's all I got. That's what I do. (laughs) That's a good word, Phil. All right. Okay. Let's pray together. And then I'm when the prayer teams come up and pray over But anybody that needs to be healed, uh, we believe Jesus is doing miracles. I want you guys to pray for my wife. We need to do that before we leave today too as well, don't we? Yeah. Lord, first I want to pray over your, your, your giving because this is between you and the Lord now. All right, Lord, I, I just know what I know, what I know, what I know, what I know, what I know. I've seen it. I see it in your word. I've seen so many testimonies. Those who choose to give to your house, you're not going to ignore them. You're going to bless them. So Lord, I pray for faith in the hearts of your people right now. No fear, no unbelief. Pray against all accusations and criticisms over financing the kingdom of God. We do it, Lord, with joy. We do it to honor you, to honor Jesus. Shedding his blood for every soul on earth. We want to reach him for you, Jesus. I pray multiplied blessings back into the homes and the lives and the businesses of every person, Lord, that commits the heart to your house. Wave after wave, opportunities opening up, blessings coming their way. Enlarge their hearts, Lord, to be a generous people, not fearful and stingy, but flowing like a river. In Jesus' name. it's so interesting when I was in business and uh, I started giving and then we started prospering I had this dream one day that grain was falling out of the sky and it started coming up higher and higher and higher to my chest and my neck and I kept throwing it out and I said to the Lord if I keep throwing out this grain I'm not going to have any left for me he said no that's how the grain was unleashed in the first place and I learned that if I just kept throwing the grain out the grain kept flowing from heaven and that next week, we opened up our second location and our third location, and that's when the business. So God calls you to be a river, not a lake. 
You got to have an outlet, not just an inlet. And you got to trust God, man. He'll bless your socks off. All right. So, um, Mark, will you come up and uh, pray over my wife, uh, Dan and Kristen, uh, Gary and Kathy, Shelly, if you're still here, you'll come on up. Daryl Lee, would you join us as well? Josh and Daryl Lee are some of the senior leaders in our house. Josh, the worship pastor, Daryl Lee, and Josh, partner and leading our church. All right, saints, let's pray for my wife right now for resurrection. Up and out of that bed, on her feet, back into her divine destiny. Somebody have a microphone? Yeah. Lord is not. That's not. Father, we agree to, to together right now, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father. We accept your authority. You said, I give you authority over every kind of evil. This cancer is evil. It is evil. It is rebellion at the molecular level. Mm. Is the worst. Mm. form of rebellion against your plan. Lord, we accept your authority. And to the greatest extent that our prayers have that authority, we release your Holy Spirit now. We say, Holy Spirit, go to hope and make war at the molecular level in the cells of her body. Make war on behalf of your kingdom, your reputation, your goodness, your love. And we pray death to cancer cells in hope's body. Be destroyed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We join our prayers together in this assault. And Lord, we pray a peace, a ridiculous, inexplicable peace upon the Ator family, every member in it right now, Lord. Peace beyond understanding a deep rest and a comfort from your presence that is, that is superhuman and only divine. We pray your presence in that house right now, filling the house and every person in it, touched by your presence and your love and your peace. Lord, your word says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we cancel that now in yes, the name Lord, of Jesus Christ. We break that spirit over hope right now in Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ. And God, you are the God of restoration. We see it time and time and time again throughout history, throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end. We pray for total restoration and complete healing. Raise her up in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. And we as the house of God agree in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. All right. I know we went a little bit longer today, but I had a lot to do. I don't know when I'll be back in the pulpit, but I wanted to come today to strengthen you and to strengthen God's church. So I'm going to go grab some hot wings with my son, and then we're going to go back home, and I'm going to be with my wife again. So God bless you guys. Okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to sing a song, and then the prayer teams will be up here. You guys just stay up here, and they're going to be here to pray. For anybody who has any needs whatsoever, Jesus is still doing miracles today. Amen. Let's all stand and worship. So I throw up my hands. 
If you've never given your life to Jesus, he wants to save your soul today. It's as easy as saying yes to him. He'll do all the rest of it. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, move your way up here to the front. Uh, in, the, in that scripture we read, it says that Paul says grace and peace to you. You can't have peace with God until you have peace in God. And so you need to come, give your life to Jesus. He'll forgive all your sins right here today. He'll breathe the spirit into you. You'll experience a peace you've never known before you'll become a child of God. So if you've never given your life to Christ, you want to come back to Christ, you have any needs uh, whatsoever, come on up to the prayer teams, let them pray over you. The band's going to play very quietly so that the prayer team can hear the needs that are coming up and uh, let Jesus be Jesus in his own house. God bless you guys.